Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Purification, chaos, salvation, faith, repentance, law. Honest repentance takes in all of these facets. Contrition and confession of sin is really what we're talking about in repentance. These six facets that I just mentioned come with their own ambassador to your door this Lenten season, don't they? So far you've had two, if you count your own pastor Ernie as an ambassador, that is. And I think you can. It's probably a biblical precedent for that because there's a sense in which we are all ambassadors of Christ. For God was in Christ, St. Paul tells the Corinthians, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's from 2 Corinthians 5. Come back to God. That's repentance, isn't it? God has been speaking the same message through his servants for a very long time. Come back. That's St. Paul, but centuries earlier, God sent his prophet Joel with a very similar, and I should say a very Lenten message, because this is our usual Ash Wednesday reading to launch the whole Lenten season. Quote, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. We saw that with the Ninevites, didn't we? After um, finally we got a little cooperation from God's prophet in that situation. So come back, writes St. Paul. Return, cries Joel. To whom, then, is this call going out? Not to the unconverted, is it? You don't tell an estranged unbeliever to come back. They haven't come in the first place. No, the call of repentance in these instances goes out to God's own people, to Israel in the Old Testament and to the church, the new Israel, as Paul refers to Christian believers in the New Testament, specifically there in Galatians. Well, if it's to believers then, from where are they being called back? It's a good question. Where are these that are being called back to return to the Lord? While sinners are sinners, and they're going to sin... (laughs) in their unbelief and in their lack of acknowledgement of their even being a God with with whom uh, we move and live and have our being. Christian believers, on the other hand, are often referred to as saints, right? To the saints in Rome, Paul writes. To the saints scattered around the world. Uh, This is how Peter starts his epistle. Saints, we are then holy ones to take the literal meaning of the Greek word. But in this world, saints are not just saints. It's kind of like that commercial. But wait, there's more. In this case, uh, the saints 
still marching through this veil of tears, this valley of the shadow of death, as David describes it. We call this being a part still of the church militant, as opposed to the dearly departed saints who are part of the church triumphant in heaven. The saints still in earth's church militant are both saint and sinner at one and the same time. Martin Luther called this the simul. Simul as in simultaneously saint and sinner. In fact, just for an object lesson, I was going to bring my saint sinner shirt. I'll describe it to you. Uh, I don't think it was a good idea to bring after I ran a couple miles in it today. So couldn't get in the wash in time. But from one direction, you read it and it says saint. And then you turn it upside down and they figured out how to write in such a font that it says sinner from the upside down direction. It's pretty amazing. OldLutheran.com if you want to pick up one of those. Not everything on there do I endorse, however. But that shirt is a, is a very vivid reminder that we are both saint and sinner. And it's a rather sorrowful combination of our Christian constitution, I'm afraid. The hymn writer was quite correct when describing you and me both when he wrote, quote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. You guys remember that hymn? Anybody know what the name of that hymn is? Come thou font of every blessing, yes. That fits you and me both. In this shadow land, we find ourselves dwelling too long in the shadows sometimes, uh, don't we? The shadows of lust, greed, of anger, of jealousy and pride. But you'd be surprised who spent or squandered too much time there also. Or maybe you wouldn't be surprised if you recall St. Paul's personal testimony right there in Romans chapter 7. Quote, I don't understand my own actions. This is Paul. I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that Nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I keep on doing. Unquote. Well, does that sound familiar? Can you relate? I can. So take heart, my fellow strugglers, on life's path. We are in good company. This is why we need each other as well. We need each other to keep our brother, our sister, in our sights for when they begin to wander, as sheep are prone to do. We need that correction at times, done, of course, in the spirit of humility, right? The scripture says it must be done in humility so that we, when helping our brother or sister, we also don't go astray, which we are all prone to do. And this is also why we need to consistently hear the call to repent. Repentance is a good thing. 
may always it may not always appear as such, but indeed it is. It's a good gift, in fact, of the Holy Spirit. Repentance writes our course and brings us once again within earshot of our Savior's loving voice of forgiveness. Those all important words of absolution. By God's grace and for the sake of his innocent son who died to redeem you, to purchase you with his holy and precious blood, you are hereby forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those sweet words. Those are the ones I'm talking about. Those words of absolution. Music to our troubled souls. There are hardly any words that can be spoken over us that do match that level of comfort, of hope, of restoration, so that we desperately need to hear, especially when we spent too much time in the shadows. And we need to hear them again and again every week. Because we sin every week. Indeed, we sin every day. And that's why confession, absolution, is a key element that we have retained in our Lutheran liturgy. Be thankful for it. And why do we need to do it week after week, Sunday after Sunday, to hear those sweet, comforting words again and again? Because, well, in the words of one of my professors, he says, even our repentance is half-hearted. Only he didn't actually say half-hearted, but I'll let you fill in the blank there according to your own imagination. (coughs) That's why we need to get back to honest repentance. Since we've been doing this series now, I've had a person come up to me. Pastor Mike, they asked, is there any other kind of repentance besides honest repentance? Why are you calling it honest repentance? Well, to such a Good question. I gave the following parable. There are two men walking down the same dark alley the same dark night. Only one of them realized there was two of them in that dark alley until that second one stuck the barrel of his gun into the first guy's back. And then these words were heard. All right, this is a stick up. Turn around very slowly and I want you to give me everything you got. Well, the first guy complied and he turned around very slowly only to reveal to the other guy, the would-be robber, that he was wearing a collar. It was a priest on his way home that dark night. And the would-be robber cried out, Oh, Father, I am so sorry. He dropped his gun. He said, I'm a Catholic. Had I only known. Well, the father was still experiencing his heart beating, clear out his chest. And to further diffuse the situation, he thought, well, I don't have any money, but I do remember I have my pack of tipperillos on the inside jacket of my quote. And so he says, son, why don't we both just sit down and enjoy a smoke together? To which the assailant replied, father, I gave up smoking for Lent. (laughs) So you you tell me, honest repentance or dishonest repentance? (coughs) Hopefully that kind of answers the question. And we can relate all too well, I'm afraid, also to those Old Testament Israelites we just read about, uh, whom God miraculously delivered from 400 years of Egyptian slavery. You recall that story, and I know Pastor Koch uh, touched upon it last week as well. 
Well, as triumphant a victory as that was near the Red Sea there, there's one detail in the story that's not so triumphant, is it? As the Egyptian army was fast approaching the Israelites, who were naturally afraid, I would have been quite afraid. Do you recall their first grumble? Their first of many, many, many grumbles. Some of them are going to grumble so much that God's going to kill them in the wilderness and not ever allow them to enter the promised land. But they grumbled here to start things off. And they said they wished that they were actually back in slavery. Can you believe that? They say to Moses, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. They're deliverer. They said, leave us alone. We told you that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to come all the way out here to die in the wilderness. Right there from Exodus 14. The longing to return to slavery, it can be a very powerful force. In the baptism liturgy, therefore, there's the following exchange that takes place between the pastor and the baptismal candidate. But sometimes, as you recall, that little baptismal candidate is too young to speak for himself or herself. And so the congregation in solidarity speaks the responses as well. Now, if you do recall this, I want you to feel free to respond uh, with me if you'd like. You don't have to. But here's the question the pastor asks. Do you renounce the devil? Yes, I renounce him. Do you renounce all his works? Yes, I renounce them. Do you renounce all his ways? Yes, I renounce them. Very good. You guys cut right on with that. Well, do you ever struggle to say that wholeheartedly? Do you say it heartily or hardly say it? Does sin still have its same allure, its Egyptian hook in you? If so, you need tonight's Lenten reminder that, hey, sin is slavery. St. Paul says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, from Romans 6. Sin always demands more and more of you. First, it demands bricks. Then it demands bricks without straw. Sin is the anvil heavy on your chest that interferes with your breathing. It's the shoe that's so tight that you can't feel your toes any longer. And it's the harpoon that hooks into your desires and then drags you around in all sorts of directions in which you were never meant to go. But Christ has freed us from slavery to sin. He is the Son who sets you free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He lifts that weight off of your chest. He burns those ropes that bind you, and he takes you off the hook. He he was on the cross. He was on the hook himself in your place and in my place so that he could take you off that hook. And by daily contrition, contrition and repentance, we can be led back into the fullness of our humanity originally intended by God as he made us and experience that freedom, that nobility and significance of being one of God's own creatures. Indeed, being a new creation in Christ, the way that he 
originally designed us and said it is good. Honest repentance doesn't make us less human when we confess all our shortcomings, all our sins. Honest repentance, ironically, (laughs) begins with admitting our repentance is not fully honest. It's one of those Lutheran paradoxes. We got a lot of them. Such repentance is also admitting our shortcomings before God, our creator and judge, God Almighty. It is confessing our defiant nature against him that we've inherited from our parents who got it from their parents all the way back. And it is agreeing with the deep conviction of guilt brought upon by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He convicts us of sin and of unrighteousness. All this necessary fruit of repentance, refreshingly, does not disqualify you from the race. Rather, honest, transparent, fully owned, vulnerable repentance actually makes us more human. It puts us back into connection with the truth. Go figure, because it brings us humbly before our God, our Redeemer. And he gives in return beauty for ashes. When we remember, admit that we're just dust, he gives us beauty, a beautiful Savior. The steadfast love of our Heavenly Father stands always ready for the sake of his Son's reconciling work, always ready to forgive you, to renew you, to restore you fully today while life marches steadily forward on this wobbly rock hurtling through space. And then one day, even more fully, in glory, in the new heavens and the new earth, even as Christ is glorified and lives forevermore. Jesus says, that is what I came for. I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. And that's the honest truth. Amen. And then may he who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Midweek Lenten Sermon from Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com.